If you will, turn with me to Luke 12. Uh, We're going to be in verses 35 through 48. And as you turn to that, as I was preparing for, you know, the sermon, I kept thinking back to when I was in seminary, and I was in my evangelism class. And a professor was talking about one of, you know, different ways to share the gospel effectively. And, And he said one of the ways that he likes to do it is... He's talking with people. He's got a relationship with, with them, and he says, you know, isn't this a beautiful world? He talks about, you know, you know, and talk about, you know, you know, the mountains and the beaches and just, you know, God's beauty on display. And he said, whenever you talk about that, people are going to say, oh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things that I like in this world, that, so many things that are, are beautiful. But then he goes from there, he says, but it's a broken world too, isn't it? And, you know, you can ask anybody in this world, is this a broken world? I mean, you look all around us. You see, we see brokenness. And, you know, every, every one of us will have plenty of examples in our own lives of, yeah, you know, this is a broken world. And so, you know, we ask, well, where do we find our solution? Then? You know, is there a solution? Yes. And where we find that is in the gospel. You know, the final solution to the problems of this world is in the hands of the king of kings, who will someday make the kingdoms of this world his very own. You know, the New Testament, it talks about Christ's return a lot. You know, Jesus, he often spoke about his return. Paul uh, refers to Jesus' return often in his letters. John does so in Revelation. Overall, Christ's return is talked about 318 times in the New Testament. It's a lot. It's a big number. The Scriptures shout that Christ is coming again. And so our question is, in light of that, how should we live our lives? Now, let's assume that we are citizens in the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, well, well, now what? We're not in heaven yet, so how are we to live here? How are we to live today? Well, the Lord provides us two lessons in our passage today. One, be ready And two, do the work that God has given us. So let's go ahead and read our passage, Luke 12, 35 through 48. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly, I say to you, that he will gird himself to serve, and have them recline at table, and will come up and will wait on them. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, Are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and and eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, 
and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Dear God, as we come to your word this morning, God, we, God, I pray that you speak through me, that it's never my words, but God, it is, the, it is you speaking. God, we pray that, that you help us to see what you were saying, you know, what Jesus was saying to the original audience when he, when he spoke this. Uh, but God, we also pray that you help us to see what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, at this point in Luke, we find the first really extended teachings on the second coming as Jesus warned his followers to be ready. You know, by recounting the parable of the rich fool, Jesus had warned against material greed, and he followed that with the warning to not worry over material things. And now, you know, Christ challenged his hearers to be ready for his return. You know, readiness for his return, it's the antidote to greed and worry. And verses 35 through 40 give us two examples how to be ready. You know, one, you know, be ready like a faithful servant. We see that in verses 35 and 36. You know, Jesus recommended a manner of readiness like that of, of faithful, devoted servants. And he said, be dressed in readiness. Keep your lamps lit. Be like men waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast that, so that they can immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. You know, a Hebrew wedding celebration you know, it could last several days. You know, these things were long. And so the time of a master's return, really, it could be anyone's guess. <clears throat> but you know, that uncertainty, though, it didn't put off these excellent servants. You know, though it was late at night, they were dressed for action. They were ready whenever their master might return. And look, we all want to be ready for action when an unexpected event happens, an unexpected circumstance comes. I mean, you don't want to be caught highly unprepared in anything. I remember one time um, a few years ago when I was still in North Carolina, and we had our business meetings on Sunday nights. And we had a business meeting. It was a fine business meeting, everything. It was just like I was tired. I got back. I was getting ready for bed. I was getting changed. And Lindsay asked me to go out on the porch and do something with the light. And you know, I'm halfway through getting changed, and so I go out there, and I just instinctively close the door. Well, Brooklyn's an infant. She's asleep. Now I've locked me and Lindsay out of the house with no phone. It's a bad situation. I was completely unprepared, and so what ended up happening was our landlords lived like a mile and a half down the road, and I borrowed Lindsay's pants and ran down the street and knocked on their door at like 10 o'clock at night. Thankfully, they opened the door because, I mean, I would not open. If, if one of you knocked on my door at 10 o'clock, I'm probably not looking to see who it is. I'm probably scared. I'm like, why is someone knocking at 10 o'clock? But they opened the door, and I'm like, I, I, I locked myself out of the house, and they came in, and they let us in. But I tell that story, one, because it's embarrassing, and I've been here long enough that you can know it. <clears throat> Two, because I was completely unprepared. I was not ready for you know, anything in that moment. You know, people here, in, people of antiquity, wow, 
They were normally clothed in like long flowing robes that went down to their ankles. But when they were called to action, such as uh, soldiers in the military or an emergency popped up, they would then hike up their robes, they would put on a large belt and tuck the robes into it. You know, this way, their knees would no longer be hindered by the fabric of the garment, and they would be able to move at a moment's notice. You know, here, what Jesus is calling us to, this is a call to be ready. These men, they were prepared. The night was also kept bright because they vigilantly replenished the oil in their lamps, and they trimmed the wicks for maximum light. So they were awake, and they were alert. They didn't give in to fatigue. As they're waiting, and they don't know when their master is going to return. They didn't have an attitude. Rather, they kept a bright house, and they were ready for their master's return. And that's how Jesus' followers are to wait for him. You know, it's not to be a passive, lethargic wait. It's, it's one filled with active service and continual preparation and joyous anticipation. And Jesus follows this with something so astonishing that he had to preface his announcement with the word truly. And saying that meaning, you know, there's not a shadow of a doubt about it. He said, truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and he will come and wait on them. It's astonishing that the master would gird himself for service and have the servants recline at table, and that the master would come and serve. The master, when he comes, doesn't come to be served, but to serve. And several months later, in the upper room in Jerusalem, when Jesus stripped himself and wrapped a towel around his waist and, and washed the feet of the twelve, they were witnesses to an action that was both symbolic in his work in the incarnation and prophetic of the messianic meal at the inauguration of the kingdom, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Luke 13, 29 and 30 tells us at that meal, people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. That passage helps us to understand Jesus' words in verse 38 when he says, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. You know, the Jews divided the night into three watches, and the Romans, they, they did so into four. And so, you know, the master probably wouldn't return during the first watch, but if he came in the second watch or the third watch in the wee hours of the morning after everyone else in the village had gone to bed, he would want to find his servants ready with their lamps still burning. Stay ready, Jesus said, no matter how late it might be. Even though you might grow weary, even though you might grow cynical, saying, look, he's not come back yet. Maybe he's not coming. I'm tired. Maybe I'll just go to bed. Resist those impulses. Because Jesus said, the servant whom the Lord finds waiting when he comes is blessed. You know, we will be blessed if we are awake. And that is serving and ready to serve. Dress for action. Lights on. Why? Because we are going to sit down at the feast of feasts as guests of the king of kings. You know, eternity, it's not just some sterile existence. It's a great feast. It's laughter. It's jubilation. And it's an intimate fellowship eternally. 
And those who are ready for Christ's return are not just lulling around lethargically. They're alive, and they're active, and they are serving Christ. Are you ready? The other analogy that Jesus employs to urge the readiness for his return was that of a wise homeowner, which we see in verses 39 and 40, saying, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. You know, this language is, is actually used a lot in Scripture. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying, Peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. Second Peter 3.10, you know, Peter uses similar language, saying, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. And the risen Lord himself said in Revelation 3, So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief." And you will not know at what hour I will come to you. And Revelation 16 said, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. You know, we all know the embarrassment of being called on when unprepared. You know, I just shared my story in front of all of you. But also, I mean, think about it when I think about like it's school. I'm sure we've probably all been called on when we weren't paying attention or were unprepared. And I feel like I probably did when those moments, what everyone else does. And you get called on and you just pretend. It's like, if I just pretend I'm not here at all, it'll just go away. So I just sit there silently and just be like, why was I not paying attention? This is so embarrassing. But, you know, we've all been called on for something, I'm sure, when we are unprepared. It's embarrassing. It's not really something I enjoy. It's not like I ever went to school and was like, I'm just going to be unprepared and embarrass myself in front of all my classmates. It's We don't like that. Well, Jesus told everyone to be prepared for his coming. It's the most important thing anyone could be ready for. You know, a thief never announces that he's coming. If if he did, he's either a really bold thief or really dumb. You know, he comes at a time where you don't expect him. I mean, if a thief wants to be successful, he'll catch you unprepared. You know, the way to be on guard against a thief is to live in constant readiness. And the way to be ready for Jesus' return is to live in constant readiness. If the master knew that someone was going to break into his house and steal from him, he probably would have been like, maybe I'm not going to leave. Maybe, maybe I'll stay. Maybe I'll, I'll watch it. Because most people don't like all their stuff getting stolen. I mean, every night when Lindsay goes to bed— she, for our entire marriage, she asked me this like it's the first time she's asked me, but she says, are all the doors locked? Are all the cars locked? Can you check them, and can you lock them again? And I'm always like, and now I'm used to it. Early, I probably would get a little bit frustrated. I'm like, I already checked these things. But if someone ever did go to break in, and I had left the door unlocked, I'd feel pretty foolish. And so Lindsay asks me those things, and if any of you try to steal from me, just know my doors are locked. The point is, Jesus' return is going to be unexpected. 
like a thief in the night, and the world will not be prepared. The networks are not going to be ready. They won't be prepared for it. The world's leaders will not be prepared. The false religions, they won't be ready. And most of the church won't be prepared. But the faithful, they will be ready. They'll be ready because they have obeyed the word of God. They will be ready because their sleeves are rolled up and the lights are on as they labor for Christ. You know, it matters that we are ready. And it matters that he is returning. Our redemption requires Christ's return. As he came once with a sin offering, he will come again a second time without a sin offering. As he came once to redeem, he will come a second time to claim the inheritance that he has so dearly bought. He came once that his heel might be bruised. And he comes again to break the serpent's head and with a rod of iron to dash his enemies in pieces as potter's vessels. He came once to to wear a crown of thorns. And he must come again to wear a diadem of universal dominion. He comes to the marriage supper. He comes to gather his saints together. And he comes to glorify them with himself on this same earth where once he and they were despised and rejected. The whole drama of redemption cannot be perfected without this last act of the coming king. The man of Nazareth will come again, and no one is going to spit in his face then, but every knee will bow before him, and he will reign forever and ever. And He will come in his own time. So we don't have this date that we can look up, that we can write on our calendar and say, I'll sleep, I won't worry about anything until this thing happens, and then I'll get ready for Jesus to come. The Lord's going to come. He may come today, he may come tomorrow. He may come in the first watch of the night, or the second, or the third. He could wait until the morning. But the one word that he gives us all is watch. Whenever he comes, We must be ready. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said, watching for the coming of the Lord means acting just as you would wish to be acting if he were to come. And he continued with a question that was extremely convicting to me, and I just can't get off my head. He said, what would Jesus think of me if he were to come now? He said, there's a lot of places on this earth that we shouldn't go. You know, where we certainly would not want to be if Jesus were to come back and return right in that moment. There's a lot of entertainment that we shouldn't engage in. We would be ashamed if Jesus returned at that time. But there's also conditions of an angry temper or pride or, or petulance or spiritual coldness. You know, these conditions where we would not want to be if we knew that Jesus was going to be coming right back then while we were in those, in those conditions. So we need to live ready. You know, it's easy to think, you know, what are the odds? What are the odds that Jesus is really going to come back today? What are the odds that Jesus is really going to come back in my lifetime? But when we do that, we end up living not in service to Jesus. We live selfishly for ourselves. And what we're doing is we're wasting our time in disobedience while the lost are perishing. 
It is vital that we are ready and that we are serving Jesus, that we are sharing the gospel, and that the fruits of our lives back up our words. You know, what a check from, from Charles Spurgeon. What an incentive it is to be mindful of Christ's return. You know, we can take this as a guide for our whole life. You know, act as if Jesus will come during whatever act we're engaged in, and if we don't want to be caught in that act by the coming of the Lord, well, let's not do that act. We've got to be ready. You know, we've got to be ready like when you have, you know, a friend or a family member coming from out of town. You know, if they're running a couple hours late, you don't just say, oh, whatever, you've got to figure it out for yourself. You know, you, you're ready. The light's on. You're ready to greet them from their journey. You're excited to see them, prepared. So here we see very clearly, it's like, David, you've said it a lot of times, we need to be ready. We have an example. We have two examples of how we should be ready. One, like a faithful servant. Two, like a wise homeowner. And we even see why. Why are we ready? We're ready because Christ is going to return. So then we're back to our big question this morning. How do we live in light of that? Well, if we live ready, then we must do the work that God has given us. You know, this was electrifying teaching, and the disciples' minds were reeling at the implications. And so Peter asked a question that they were all thinking. Verse 41, it says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And Jesus' answer revealed that this parable was for the twelve, and then... It was for others who would subsequently exercise authority over God's people. You know, he said reward would be given to the ready, the wise, the faithful manager. And the metaphorical picture of the rewards that will be given to faithful believers at the return of Christ. Of course, not all servants are faithful. Not all servants are wise. And so Jesus addressed their plight as well in verses 45 and 46, saying, But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour that he does not know, and he will cut him into pieces and assign him to a place with the unbelievers." You know, the servant here, in this example, he's not simply been lazy. He's been outright unfaithful. He's a, a drunken glutton who mistreats the master's other servants. He beats not only men, but also women. He's an abuser of both divine trust and an abuser of human life. He is excessively given over to the pleasures of this world. You know, his life is a grotesque perversion. And so when the master, when Jesus returns, the cruel servant suffers a grisly end, and Christ pronounces him to be unfaithful. The master of that servant will come on a day and in an hour when the servant's not looking for him, when he's not prepared, just as he did to the rich fool. And Jesus said that he will cut the servant in pieces. It's pretty graphic. The master comes home, he finds the steward beating the rest of the employees, exploiting them, making a mockery of his stewardship, and it gets worse, a whole lot worse, because the judgment on this unfaithful servant is not simply being cut into pieces. Now, Jesus had warned earlier in the chapter, uh, in verse 5, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he was killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
You know, what is worse than being cut in half is that the unfaithful steward will be put with the unfaithful. This is what makes our text this morning so scary. Because Jesus wasn't talking about people who are on the outside of the church. He wasn't talking about the lost who have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. He's talking about people who are on the inside of the church, that have been appointed stewards of the kingdom of God, who have made, you know, people who have made professions of faith, perhaps people who come to church every Sunday. Because you see, we can use Christian language and get really good at knowing the lingo that we're, you know, the words we're supposed to say, the phrases we're supposed to utter. We can hold up a Bible. We can, we can come to church on Sundays. We can be in a small group. We can volunteer at Upward. But if the fruit of our faith is the opposite, if our actions don't back up a lick of what we say, then what we're showing is that we don't know Jesus. Everything will be revealed when Jesus returns, so we must make sure that our life matches up with our profession of faith. Everything will be put right. The truth will be known at last. There will be justice on earth. And Jesus tells us that ultimate justice will be exquisitely measured out. In verses 47 and 48, he says, That slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Jesus talked about the proportionate punishment that comes in hell. We often hear spouted the unbiblical phrase, you know, a sin is a sin, all sins are equal. It's not biblical, though. Jesus talked about those who hear the word and fail to keep it, and they will receive a severe beating. There are those who are on the outside of the church who don't hear the word. They don't have the advantage of listening to expository preaching every Sunday morning. They've still sinned. They will receive a lighter beating. And the judgment for those who are in the house of God, but who hear the word and don't respond, will be much greater than those who have never heard. And so Jesus sums it all up in the famous proverb in the second half of verse 48, where he says, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand all the more. We have so much. We have the word of the Old Testament. We have the word of the prophets. We have the covenants. We have the New Testament. You know, we have the revelation of the incarnation. We have the gospel of grace. We have the life and teachings of Jesus. We have the apostles' witness and their teachings. We have 2,000 years of church history and 2,000 years of the church's testimony. We have abundant preaching. You know, here we are in 2021 where you can hear, you know, the best preachers from all over, you know, almost any time you want. You can hear their sermons and find them online and listen to, to rich preaching. We have thousands and thousands of sound books. We have a wealth of opportunities. And consequently, much is required of us. The thrust of Jesus' message, it can be summed up into two words. Get ready. His return is as sure as his incarnation. And to be ready, if we really want to, to act out being ready, then we have to do the work that God has given us. 
If we want to be ready, we can't be prioritizing our own lives and our own comfort and present things, you know, thinking only of the earthly in this life, being short-sighted. We need to have an eternal mindset. You know, we have immortal spirits, and so we must rise to the dignity of, of the eternal to think of the kingdom. We need to think of the kingdom that is soon to come and live with an eternal mindset. So let me encourage you this morning. Don't be earthbound. Don't cast your anchor, anchor here in troubled waters. Don't build your nest in the trees that, that, that are marked for the axe. Those trees are coming down, and our nest will too. We need to set our affection on the things above, on the eternal. There, project your thoughts and project your anxieties. Don't be anxious about the things that pertain to this life, but as Matthew 6.33 tells us, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Christ is coming back. He will be com- he, he's going to come when it's least expected. CNN is not going to expect it. Wall Street, they won't have a hint of it. The nations will have no clue. The world's religions, they won't believe it. But to these, he is coming like a thief in the night. The book of Revelation closes with Jesus' promise in Revelation twenty-two twenty: Surely I am coming soon. And we say with the people of God, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So how can we be ready? By living a godly life that reflects the abundant truth that God has given us. Just as Titus 2, 11 through 13 tells us, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do this by, by joyful service. You know, we stay dressed for action. We keep our lamps burning. Like men waiting for their master to come home from the, from the wedding feast, we are ready to open the door when he knocks. So let's roll up our sleeves and turn the lights on. Because Jesus is coming. And we must be ready. As we go now to, to pray and, and to worship, you know, I want to encourage you, if you would like to respond to the service, you know, if you want to, to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you just have some questions about the sermon or, or questions about our church, you know, let me encourage you, myself and Ben, Pastor Ben, after the service, we would love to talk to you. We, we get great joy out, out of, of, of having those conversations with you. So please, and, you know, if you have questions or you want to place your trust in Jesus as Savior, talk to us. Or if you're with us either on the live stream or, or you know, you're, you're more comfortable to, to send a text or an email and then we can get in touch with you, or you just want to get connected with the church and would like to know how, you, know, you, can, you can text or email us at connect at seafordbaptist.com. And also, you know, as we do worship, you know, the stairs to my right and to my left are always open for prayer. So let's pray. Dear God, again, we thank you so much for the opportunity to spend time in your word this morning. God, we we thank you for the challenge that Jesus gives us. 
And God, we thank you that, you know, so many times as, as we can be stubborn, that there, there are times where Jesus says, get, just be ready, get ready. And he gives us this charge and this clear command. And God, we pray this morning that you help us to follow it. God, help us to be ready for the return of Jesus. Help us to live our lives reflecting that, sharing the gospel, serving you. And God, I pray that you help us to do that together. In Jesus' name, amen. Go on and stand with us as we...